and, uh, and for praying for me. Uh, it's really, uh, really good to be here. I'm still really intrigued. Who hasn't been through that door yet? Who hasn't seen what's on the other side of that door? Am I the... Okay, so it's just... Okay, maybe at the end of this service, I went in there a, um, a number of months ago and it was just covered in sawdust and I came out covered in sawdust. I wasn't doing any work, um, as you can probably tell by looking at me. I'm not that kind of person. Um, but um, yes, so I'm very much looking forward to, to seeing uh, through there in, uh, in a moment, but I've got to speak to you first uh, before I'll be allowed to, uh, to go through there. Um, so where are we? Great, excellent. Um, I don't know if you've noticed... Uh, but these days, it seems very much like the most important thing for any uh, company, uh, any organisation, any uh, political institution, to be able to sum up their message in just a few words. So it might be uh, some kind of slogan, uh, it might be some kind of tweet, uh, it might be a line that a politician feels they have to uh, cram into every sentence and every answer uh, to every question on TV, even if it's nothing to do uh, with what they were asked about. And I'm sure just as you look at the screen, uh, there are a few uh, logos up there. I'm sure uh, for those along the bottom, everyone got all of those? Everyone knows what the slogans are? Okay, that's some, something to talk about afterwards. Uh, if, you, if you haven't, you know, save that kind of awkward silence. Um, but I wonder, if you were asked to sum up in just a few words, what does, if someone said to you, what does it mean uh, to live as a Christian? What does it mean uh, to be a disciple? If you had to answer that question in just a few words, don't worry, you're not going to have to say this out loud, but how would you sum it up? How would you sum up what it means to be a disciple? There are lots of legitimate ways of answering that question. Um, so I'm not about to say whatever you've thought of is wrong unless you guess the words that came out of my mouth. Um, but I believe that these three words uh, won't, go, uh, won't lead us too far astray in answering that question, what it means to be a disciple. And it's this. And it's simple. And it's really hard. <laughs> and it's just this. Follow Jesus everywhere. And a lot of the songs uh, we've been singing this morning have been uh, on this theme. Uh, follow Jesus everywhere. If we, as the people of God, as men and as women, uh, following uh, Jesus in the 21st century, if we focus on this, on just following Jesus everywhere, I promise you our lives will be incredibly rich. Okay? If we focus on following Jesus everywhere our lives will be incredibly rich. They will not be easy, but they will be really rich. They'll be rich in that we will know more of God's presence. They will be rich in that we will become the best versions of ourselves that we could possibly be. And our lives will be rich in the sense that wherever we might spend our time during the week, whatever those places might be, whoever those people might be that we're with, if you are following Jesus in that place, you will make a difference. It will be automatic that you will make a difference if you are following Jesus in those places. God's great aim for our lives, I love your verse, uh, your kind of like double verse that you've got for this year that you're focusing on, uh, that, that really touches on this. But God's great aim for your life and for my life 
is that we become more like Jesus, that we get transformed, and that we follow Jesus in every uh, single place that we might be, whatever time we might be there. And so to help us to think through this, this, this theme of following Jesus everywhere, I want us to look at a passage uh, this morning from Luke chapter 5. Um, if you have a Bible with you, um, you might want to open, up to, uh, open it up uh, at Luke 5. If you don't have a Bible, um, every verse that I refer to is going to be on the screen. Uh, and we're just going to take a, a, a bit of a walk um, through this passage and just look at it in a few chunks and just reflect on what actually is happening in this passage and to think about what, what might those things mean uh, for who we are and for how we live. And to start with, I want us to uh, just look at, uh, looking at Luke 5, just read the first few verses of, of, of that uh, passage and to think about how Jesus gets involved in the everyday. So let's read. This is starting at verse 1. Uh, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat." When we think about great spiritual, uh, moral uh, leaders and teachers and and great holy people, I wonder where the places are we would expect to find them doing their thing. Maybe we would expect to find them in in a designated religious place, like some kind of temple or something like that. And it's true to say that Jesus certainly spent quite a lot of his time at the temple and in uh, local synagogues. Maybe we would expect to find a great holy person, a great religious leader, uh, out in the desert or high up uh, meditating on a mountain. And again, it's fair to say that Jesus spent some of his time in places like that as well. But I wonder if we would expect to see Jesus uh, down at the wheat sheaf. I wonder if we would expect to see him in Pottenview Care Home or down at the farm shop buying his produce and doing his thing there. I wonder if those are the kinds of places where we expect to see Jesus at work. Because here in this passage that we're looking at this morning, that is exactly the kind of place that Jesus is and where Jesus does his thing. Jesus is at the side of this beautiful lake, the Lake of Gennesaret, that we normally refer to as the Sea of Galilee. And there are fishermen there, so they've been uh, working through the night, uh, you know, trying to catch uh, their fish. Uh, There are people who are mingling on the shoreline. And these are, you know, they're good people. They know that fish is very, very good for you. They know that it's high in omega oils and good for the mind and good for the skin and all of those things. So they've, you know, people have gone down uh, to the side of the lake uh, to, get their, to get their fix of Amiga. And, and then there's Jesus. 
And he's on this busy shoreline. You've got all these people and the crowds are bustle, uh, just, you know, kind of is bustling and there's a real buzz. And ev- everyone is gathering around him because there's a real uh, excitement around Jesus. People have started to hear the rumours about him. They may have seen him do some great things already. And so everyone is, is around Jesus at the side of this lake. And not too far away from there, there is this man called Simon. Now, Simon is called Simon here. This is where it might get slightly confusing, but I think you're all bright enough to keep up with me. Uh, Simon goes through a bit of a rebranding exercise. Some of you might already know this. So Simon uh, later becomes Peter. So throughout this talk, I'm mostly going to call him Peter, uh, but in the passage, he's actually called Simon, although in one verse, he's referred to as Simon Peter. But Simon and Peter are the same person. If I say Simon, if I say Peter, I mean Simon or Peter. Is everybody with me? Yes, excellent, great, we're doing really well. (laughs) Not long to go. Um, We're about a tenth of the way through. Um, So, Peter is there and all this is taking place. But Peter has not had a very good night. Okay, Peter has had a terrible night. He had been fishing, because that is his job, and he's been fishing with his his mates, uh, and they have caught absolutely nothing. And to make it worse, not only has Peter had a fruitless night, toiling, uh, cold and wet and and annoyed that they haven't caught anything, which means he's not going to make any money that day, he now has to clean his nets. And I don't know if you've ever had to, like, clean something that's just kind of dirty and muddy and ropey and, you know, it wasn't a particularly pleasant job, especially when you're tired and especially when you've not made any money for the privilege of doing it. I imagine that Peter... In this, on this morning, was not a very uh, happy chap. And there's Peter, so there, we've, got, we've got Peter, we've got Jesus. And, the, and, and they've actually met before. It says, we, find, we read earlier in Luke that uh, Peter, that Jesus had been in Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And I'm pretty sure the scene went something like this. Jesus was about to heal her, and Peter's probably saying, because it's his mother-in-law, oh, don't worry about it, Jesus. You know, it's probably her time to go anyway. But, um, but Jesus actually ends up uh, healing his mother-in-law. We don't know whether Peter was happy about this or not. Um, if you have a mother-in-law, uh, you will understand uh, the perspective uh, that I might be uh, hinting at right now. If your mother-in-law is in the room with you at the moment, just think very carefully. Anyway... Uh, Everyone is crowding around Jesus, and it's very hard to preach when people are just gathering around you and yanking on your clothes, and as Adrian promised me, you you lot are very much more uh, respectful than that and and giving me a nice amount of space here. In fact, you've all sat about as far away from me uh, as you possibly could. No one in the spit zone. Uh, Very wise uh, congregation. Um, But Jesus, uh, he goes up to Peter, this tired this frustrated fisherman, and he says, Peter, can I use your boat? And not only do I need to use your boat, I need you just to row it out a little bit for me, and then you need to stay in the boat, because I don't know if you have ever preached from a boat before, um, but if you try preaching from a boat and no one is keeping the boat sort of steady and in the same place, it just spins around and you end up preaching to fish and seagulls. And that wasn't what Jesus wanted to do at that moment. He wanted to preach to the people on the shoreline. But it's amazing, isn't it? 
This is Jesus Christ we are talking about, the Son of God, who later on in his life on this earth just walked across a whole lake. Okay, he, if he wanted to preach this sermon and get away from the crowds, he could have walked on the water because no one else at that time was really able to do that. He could have just walked out on the water and preached from there. But instead, he asks this everyday bloke who's had a terrible night of work, Peter, will you be involved in what I'm doing? Peter, would you mind using your skills and your resources to help me do what I am doing in this moment? And Peter is amazed. And he just says, yeah, yeah, that's, that's something I can do. And he does it. Because you see, there are so many ways that Jesus calls us to serve him. Sometimes we have this habit of narrowing the concept of what it means to follow Jesus and to serve him. And sometimes we feel like if we're just in regular work and we're just regular people, that we're not doing such important things as people who work for Christian charities or who are overseas missionaries or work in churches. Or we feel like the jobs that we do or the families that we take care of or the neighbours that we serve, that that stuff is somehow less important, less Jesus-centred than the stuff that we might do when we're in a building like this. But that isn't the case. Jesus calls us to serve him everywhere with the things that we have to serve the people that we know with the abilities that we possess. And so he just says things to us like, can I use your car? Can I use your kitchen? Can I use your ears? Can I use your time? Jesus loves to include ordinary people going about their ordinary days to serve him and the purposes of his kingdom. So every day, wherever you are, listen to Jesus. Be ready to say yes to whatever he might ask you to do. So Jesus gets involved in the everyday. And then next, Jesus enables us to do more with him than we could do by ourselves. I want you to imagine something, uh, just for a moment. I want you to imagine that you work nights. And you work nights, you work night shifts as a telesales person. Is anyone here, does anyone here already work in telesales or already work a night shift not doing telesales? Okay, so we definitely have to do some real imagining here. You're a night shift worker doing telesales and, you, and they're international telesales. You're not calling people in Britain in the middle of the night just so you can annoy them even more uh, than when you call them at three o'clock in the afternoon. You are in international telesales. So you are selling uh, products and services to other countries. That is why you have to work at night because when... They are awake. Everyone else in this country is asleep. So you work at night. And one day, uh, you've had a terrible night shift and you've been calling and you've been calling and you've been calling and you've been calling. And throughout the whole night, you have managed to not make a single sale. Okay? And then you're walking home and you're tired and you're annoyed because you didn't make any commission that night. And just as you get close to your house 
you bump into a national grid worker who's in like a big high-vis jacket. And this national grid worker says to you, Oi, mate, because they all talk like that, don't they? Oi, mate. Just joking. Um, he says, why don't you walk back to your office and call the next number on your list? What are you going to do? Are you going to listen to the national grid worker who's telling you to walk all the way back to your office, this guy who knows nothing about the work that you do, you're the telesales expert, you know that this is the wrong time to call people in the countries where you're doing your, trying to do your business because everyone there is now in bed. And of course, this guy says to you, go back to your office and call the next number on your list and you will say, bye-bye, I am going to bed. That essentially is a modern-day equivalent of what happens here between Jesus and Peter. So with that in mind, let's read uh, the next part of this story. This is uh, still in Luke 5, picking it up at verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Okay, Peter is an expert fisherman. Okay, Peter has been fishing since he was a kid. His dad would have been a fisherman, and his dad would have been a fisherman, and his dad would have been a fisherman, because that's how uh, things worked back then. You took on the trade of your father. And he knows how to catch fish. Then we have Jesus. What did Jesus do before he starts his kind of preaching and, and healing ministry? What did Jesus do? Yeah, he was a carpenter. He was a, he was a, a kind of more of a, a technical guy, building and... Uh, and shaping things and, you know, working with his hands. But he worked on the land. Peter was a man of the water. And Peter is tired, remember? Remember that at this moment, Peter is tired. He's had a bad night. He's already helped Jesus do his preaching thing. And now Jesus uh, says to Peter, go fishing again. And remember, Peter has already started cleaning his nets. Like, he is going in the opposite direction to fishing at the moment. The last thing he wants to do is fish. It was a bad idea. It was a bad idea because Peter was tired. It was a bad idea because the fish clearly weren't interested in being caught at that time because Peter had been trying it. And it was especially bad because the nets that fishermen used back then for night fishing were different for the nets that they would use to catch fish during the day. Because if you use that kind of net and that kind of approach to catch fish in the day, the fish would say to each other, oh, look, there's a net. Let's swim this way. Okay? So, that is, so, so what Jesus says, he basically says, take your night fishing net and drop it in the water made absolutely no sense. And Peter knows that this makes absolutely no sense. And that is why he says in his response, Jesus, what you are telling me doesn't make any sense at all. But then we have that great but. But, because you are telling me to, I'm going to do it. 
And so Peter, he rows all the way out and he lets down his net. And suddenly, he has more fish in his net than you could shake a tin opener at. Okay? He's, he has just made the equivalent of like three months' wages or something. He has just absolutely hit the jackpot. When I read this passage, I just, you know when you have those moments where you just wonder and you think, I wonder what would have happened if Peter had said no. What if Jesus said, Peter, let down your nets one more time, and Peter followed his logic, he followed his experience, and he said, I'm done now, Lord. I'm going home. Thanks for the advice. I'll try again tomorrow. What would he have missed out on if he had just trusted his own logic rather than trusting Jesus? And then I ask myself a really annoying question. And I ask myself, how many times have I said no to Jesus because he's asking me to do something that doesn't make sense to me? How many times has Jesus said, Joe, I want you to give? Perhaps he said, Joe, I want you to give £100. I've said, okay, yeah, I'll give 50 maybe. I'll do it next week. Perhaps there have been times where Jesus has called me to stand up for someone who has been being treated unfairly or to get involved in a situation where someone wasn't able to sort it out for themselves. But then I've just thought, ah, oh, it's going to get messy and people might think, is this really Joe's place to be getting involved? And then I don't do it. Perhaps there's been times where Jesus has asked me to draw alongside people and I've thought about it and I've just thought, oh, but I just don't know if we really are going to get on that well. I don't know if it's really going to go well. Or maybe if I help this person once, they'll expect it every time. Mm, I'll leave it for now. The reality that we face is we can always find a reason not to do what Jesus is calling us to do, either because it's hard or because it's costly or because we've tried to do something before and we failed and we're scared of failing again. But wouldn't it be so great if we were a group of people who always said yes to Jesus when he asks us to do things that don't make sense if we were a group of people who were willing to say yes and then to do that thing. Jesus does amazing things through people who just trust him and obey and then finally, Jesus calls us to change the world with him. We pick up our story again at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. We've had this incredible, miraculous catch of fish. 
And Peter has recognised that there is something about Jesus. He recognises that Jesus is more than just an ordinary man. And he recognises that Jesus is up to something amazing. And then he does the most stupid thing he could have done. He falls at Jesus' feet and he tells Jesus what a moral failure he is. He tells him how unworthy he is of Jesus and he essentially tells Jesus to go away. Now Peter clearly doesn't know how things work because great leaders of the world, they want to surround themselves with a particular kind of person. Great leaders want to surround themselves with glamorous and great and intelligent and beautiful people who, if they have mess, at least make an effort to keep it private. And so surely now that Peter has told Jesus what he's really like, Jesus is going to go away and he's going to find somebody better than Peter to join him in his mission. But Jesus is not like other leaders. And Jesus doesn't just forgive Peter. He says to him, now that you have seen what can happen in your everyday life, now that you can see what happens when we work together, I want you to spend the rest of your life working with me. I want you to join me, Peter, in changing the world. Because you see, that is what Jesus is like. Jesus doesn't just look at people like you and me who are moral failures and say, I will put up with you. Jesus doesn't look at moral failures like you and me and say, all right, I'll forgive you, but just try and be good and stay out of trouble until you die. He doesn't say that. Jesus, of course, does forgive us, but then he invites us, he includes us in his incredible mission to the world. We, we prayed the Lord's Prayer at the beginning of this prayer where we're praying that the kingdom of God, would, that, that it will come to earth. God says, you can be part of that. You can be part of living in my kingdom and showing what my heavenly kingdom is like in your day-to-day life. You see, there is no one in the whole world more gracious than Jesus. There is no person that you can depend on more than Jesus. There is no richer life than a life spent following and obeying Jesus. So I invite you, as we go out into this week, I have no idea what most of your weeks are going to be like. I've had a a little chat with a couple of you, but for most of you, I just have absolutely no idea where you'll be going for the rest of this day, where you'll be tomorrow morning or Thursday afternoon. I have no idea. Perhaps you'll be at home. Perhaps you'll be in a workplace. Perhaps you'll be with family. Perhaps you'll uh, be with friends. Maybe you'll be shopping. Maybe, I don't know, you belong to some kind of Uh, running club or you go to exercise classes or a gym or swimming or something like that maybe you volunteer somewhere but whatever you are doing wherever you are going to be let's be people who keep an eye out for Jesus 
who loves to show up in the most ordinary and mundane of places. Let's be people who use our time and our resources for him. And wherever we might be, let's be people who pray that his kingdom would come in those places. Jesus does not ask you this week to be perfect. He asks you to be willing. And he will do amazing things through you. Let's pray.